Raiders sideline. Trinnaman is there. Makes the catch at the 30, 20, 10, and just like that! Touchdown, Cougars! On the first play of the game! Takes it down the right side of the lane, right to the rim, scoop, and a score! It rolls around and drops down. Takes this free kick and curls it inside the left post. What a goal! The voice of the Cougars is talking BYU sports with the players and coaches past and present who've made you rise and shout. And this is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel on BYU Radio, Sirius XM Channel 143. Here now is your host, Greg Rubel. Good evening once again, Cougar Nation. Welcome back inside Studio 2 at the BYU Broadcasting Building on the BYU campus in Provo, Utah. For another edition of Behind the Mic, our once-a-week visit with members of the BYU Sports and Sports Media Communities, 60 minutes of Cougar conversations. We hope you do enjoy. If you're tuning in live this evening, you are with us on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, org, or the BYU Radio app. If you're listening later, it's on our Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel podcast feed or on our show page at byuradio.org where all of our shows are cataloged and archived for on-demand listening. And to have a look around at the byuradio.org site, all the great programming can be heard live or on-demand via podcast at that site. Uh, The shows include our weekly Dave Rose Coaches Show along with the BYU Sports Nation Daily. Coming up on tonight's show, the head coach of the nation's fifth-ranked men's volleyball team, Sean O. Olmstead, a coach who has taken both the men's and women's programs to the national championship matches and whose current team is coming off a road upset of the nation's top-ranked squad last week. After Sean, we'll visit with former BYU hoopster Travis Hansen. My interview with Travis is tonight's Catching Up with the Cougars segment sponsored by BYU alumni. But as we kick off tonight's show, we do so with one of my... uh, Broadcasting teammates here at BYUB, well-known name in this market for many, many years. A BYU fan and broadcaster, my on-air colleague, Jason Shepard. Jason, welcome in. Thank you very much, Greg. This is fun. I'm, I'm not used to being the person asked the questions. I'm used to being the one that asks the questions. See, we've been on the air together dozens, if not hundreds of times. I know. Just not in this setting. Yes, just not in this setting. Yeah, because people who have listened to BYU football, BYU basketball for years... Uh, know that we're uh, we're sharing the same uh, broadcast space and have done for a long, long time. But tonight, it gives us a chance to let listeners know a little bit more about you, what got you to where you are, and we'll talk a little BYU sports too. But uh, let's um, let's identify uh, the the main passions in the life of Jason Shepard. Oh man! First of all, you're not in this business if sports isn't a passion. Certainly, so that right off the bat is is one of my biggest passions and. I know there are a lot of people in this business that when they leave their job for the day, they kind of want to unplug and they really don't want to have anything to do with basically what their job is associated with. That is not the case with me. I I could do a full eight to ten hour you know shift and be all about sports that day and then get in the car, listen to sports radio on the way home. As soon as I get home, watch a basketball game or watch a football game. So... It really is sort of all-encompassing with me. I, I love sports and have always loved sports. Where were you born and where did you grow up? I was born in Rolla, Missouri, which is in the southern part of the state of Missouri. Uh, we is that lit- R-O-L-L-A? R-O-L-L-A. That is roughly an hour to an hour and ten minutes west of St. Louis. 
So that's where I was born. Uh, lived in Independence, Missouri. Uh, my parents were divorced, uh, so I lived with my mom, my stepdad, and my sister uh, in Independence until I was 13. So I finished seventh grade, and then we moved to Utah. So that was 1989. So I've lived in Utah close to 30 years now. Uh, but it is kind of funny, though, even though you live like you. I mean, you consider yourself... Your, your hometown is, you know, it's in Canada. Yeah, so I, I've now lived in Utah more than I lived in Canada. Yeah. So I'm in a similar situation, yet I still think of myself as, uh, you know, uh, a born and raised native Canadian. It's so much a part of my upbringing that that's still kind of where, you know, the home fires burn, even though I've been here for so long. And I guess it's the same way yeah, for you. Yeah, same with me. Yeah. I, you know, people say, where are you from? Well, I'm from Missouri, but I've lived in Utah, you know, more than three quarters of my life, basically. So it's... Uh, it's, it was a great place to grow up, but yeah, we moved out here. I started eighth grade in Utah and have been out here ever since. Baseball. You love baseball. I do. And because of where you were born and raised, Cardinals. Yeah. I, living in Independence, obviously, it's a suburb of Kansas City. So actually- Well, Royals are involved, but, yes. but it, seems like I, it seems like I get more, more of a Cardinals vibe With, from without you. Without question, yeah. but it didn't start that way. Uh I grew up going to Royals games. In fact, the Royals were my very first, quote-unquote, my team. So I grew up going to Royals games all the time because we lived in Kansas City. But because my parents were divorced, when I would go visit my dad, and he lived closer to St. Louis, we would go to Cardinals games. So I grew up going to both. But I was certainly a Royals fan when I was younger. Once we moved away and I got older... I gravitated more towards the Cardinals, and, and now I am a full-fledged St. Louis Cardinals fan, right. have been for a long, long time. That's, you know, that, that's the sense I've gotten from yes. you over the years, social media and otherwise. Yes. All right, so uh, when did uh, the sports broadcasting bug bite you? Oh, wow. I, I have always known that I wanted to be in broadcasting. I was the little kid that would play reporter and DJ. I would interview my sister. I'd like play, you know, the little... Uh, little recorder where you know, put the tape in and you could hit record and play at the same time and I would record my voice and then play a little music and then I'd come back hey thanks for joining us and I'd interview my sister it's funny how you look back on your life and you, you see these moments that how well did that pay for you by the way back in the day uh, how much did it pay yeah. uh, none uh, it gave me absolutely nothing <laughs> but it, it's you look back and it's like yeah it was it was always there I was lucky enough that my high school I went to Kearns High School I was lucky enough that it is one of the best, if not the best, television production um, schools. They have a, a class there that people, at least at the time that I was there, would come from all over. I think other places have it now. But I was really lucky that I was able to get in to that program in high school. And it really opened a lot more doors for me and really took my love for broadcasting and – it exploded because I had some opportunities to go do news stories and things like that. The sports part came, you know, as I was through my teenage years, as I got more into sports and I'm like, okay, well, I want to be in broadcasting. I love sports. How about we just put those together? And there we go. What'd you do after high school? Right after high school? Uh, right after high school, I was, I started at Salt Lake Community College for a little while. And then, you know, obviously got the mission call. And uh, when I came back from my mission, I was which was to where uh, Cleveland, Ohio was my mission call. So I was going back to Salt Lake Community College, just getting generals, and I was lucky enough to be able to get an internship at KSL Television. 
And I had actually had an, an internship my senior year in high school, which was 1994, at KJAZZ Broadcasting. So I actually covered the jazz that 94 season. I was an intern at KJAZZ. So I had already had an internship, which kind of stoked the fires even more. So when I was able to get the internship at KSL, Rod Zundel brought me in, looked at my resume, and literally said, okay, you're hired. I mean, it was literally that fast. And that started my now... 20-year-plus career. I'm going into year 21 in the broadcasting field, but it started with an internship at KSL Television. And you went to uh, you, you went to other stations uh, in the Salt Lake market over the years, right? Mm-hmm. I did, and I was at, uh, at let's see, 1320K fan. I was at 1280. Uh, I was at ESPN 700. Uh, luckily, I only had to do BYU stuff and jazz stuff there. So I was I was always, regardless of where I was, I was... You were known al- as the BYU I guy. I was always the BYU and the jazz guy. That was, regardless of where I was, I was lucky enough to be able to follow and cover my two favorite teams. And so I just honestly, and I was telling somebody this today, I drive home from work every day, and I'm not exaggerating this, Greg. And think to myself, I love my job. I am so glad and blessed that I can say that every day when I leave, that I love my job. I get to cover one of my teams, and it's awesome. I love it. There was a point uh, when you were at ESPN 700 when the opportunity came uh, to you to then uh, go work for the station that that did the BYU games. That is correct. I remember it uh, vividly. Somebody by the name of Greg Rubel uh, gave me a call one day and said, hey, what's your situation? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm kind of a free agent. And he's like, well, we're, we're creating this show, and there's a position that we're creating, and I, I kind of created it with you in mind. Would you be interested? And I, I don't even know if I waited half a second to say <laughs> yes, yes. And so, yeah, you, uh, you were instrumental in bringing me back to KSL Radio to be the studio host for BYU football and BYU basketball. And ironically enough, that's back to being my job here at BYU Broadcasting as the studio host for football and basketball for the Cougars. We were teammates then. We're teammates again. Of course, now here, uh, your role has greatly expanded in both TV and radio. And it's all BYU all the time. It is all BYU all the time, and I would not have it any other way. So before we let you run, this was a good introductory uh, segment for for our fans. We'll do this again, of course, uh, heading into the future. But uh, the most recent developments that we'll hit you on are uh, a new staff for BYU football and a 15-4 and four start for BYU basketball. This basketball team is really fun to watch. And I think a lot of it comes from the fact that we just didn't know what to expect after so much turnover in the offseason, you lose your best player in Eric Mika, and everything was geared towards Eric so much. You know this. And so how was it going to look? And then for BYU to come out and play so well in the non-conference and really look good, uh, this is a really fun team. It's an exciting team. Elijah and Yoli, just fantastic players. In terms of the football staff, I'm really excited. Uh, again, though, there's some unknowns just because we don't know. And, but I like the the idea, the word you know, accountability and you know, holding people accountable, that, that's been brought up a lot by players and other coaches. I, I'm very optimistic about the direction 
that that these two programs, speaking of BYU football and BYU basketball, are going without question. Tonight is a Wednesday night as we do this show live. Tomorrow night at this time, uh, we're not quite on the air, but we'll be uh, leading up to uh, BYU and LMU. It's a late night game on a Thursday. So 8 o'clock pregame, 9 o'clock tip on Thursday night for BYU and Loyola Marymount. Tell our listeners who are listening live uh, what is coming up on Cougar pregame live tomorrow night ahead of BYU and LMU. Yeah, we'll give you a little bit of preview to start things off about LMU. We'll certainly look back on a great win at Santa Clara, but we'll have the only freshman on the BYU basketball team, Ryland Bergerson. I talked with him after practice today. We'll have a one-on-one with Ryland. We'll have our courtside conversation with the one and only Mark Durant, and then then we'll turn things over to you for the remainder of pregame tomorrow. Ryland Bergerson, the only freshman but not the youngest player correct. on the team. That, that is belongs correct. to Yoli Childs, who did turn 20 uh, last week on game day <laughs> at Santa Clara. So BYU right now has an active roster. Well, Colby Lee is there, but he's not playing. Uh, of no, t- There are no teenagers uh, on the active roster other than Colby Lee right now. I think Colby turns 20 here in a couple of months. So uh, BYU will be one of those next year. In fact, even with Gavin Baxter and Connor Harding coming in, BYU may be the only team in America without a single teenager on the roster next year. Anyway, it's crazy. That, hey, but about. you know what? You know, it is a mature team. Yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that from about uh, that, one or five thousand coaches. That word in the comes past. up a lot, yeah. doesn't it? Jason, good to have you in. And again, we'll do this again. But uh, uh, this was your uh, your debut, if you will, in this current format. We had you on behind the mic uh, media day edition back yes. in the summer. But in its new incarnation, it was your debut. A nice introduction again for our listenership, and uh, we'll do this again. Sounds good. Thanks, Greg. All right, that's Jason Shepard. That's Shep. And uh, tomorrow night, again, Cougar pregame live with Jason and uh, Mark Durant and me, 8 o'clock Mountain Time and a 9 o'clock Mountain Time tip for BYU and LMU on Thursday. That'll be 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock Eastern Time, respectively. Coming up next, the head coach of the nation's number 5 men's volleyball team, Sean Olmstead, is next. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio.org and the BYU Radio app. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Sean Olmstead and BYU Volleyball have been associated for most of the last 20 years. And during that time as a player and a coach, Sean has helped both the men's and women's programs to the highest peaks of achievement in the sport. In the early 2000s, as a player, Sean helped BYU to three national title games, winning two of them. In the current decade, as a coach, Sean has led both the men's and women's teams to national championship matches, along with multiple conference championships, helping to produce many All-Americans and other award winners, as the BYU name has risen to and remained among the top tier in the sport collegiately. His is a volleyball family, and the family tree roots run deep, especially here at BYU, which is lucky to have both Sean and sister Heather at the helm of the men's and women's programs, respectively. Sean's current squad is ranked fifth nationally after last week's back-to-back road wins at then number 14 Ball State and then number one Ohio State. The Cougars now back home for a Friday-Saturday showdown with Barton, the team BYU beat to advance to last year's Final Four and eventually a second straight national championship match. Pleasure to welcome in to Studio 2, Sean Olmstead behind the mic. Hello, Sean. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming in. When I say volleyball family, it's more than just what you and Heather are doing here at BYU currently. When she was on with me a couple months ago, uh, she talked about uh, back home, Carpinteria, California. Yep. And uh, among the things I learned was that uh, your dad coached Karch Karai 
at Santa Barbara High School. He did. He did. I have uh, have a few photos in in my office, and one of my favorites is I think I was three months old, uh, nineteen seventy eight, and. Uh, Karch Karai was a senior at the time for Santa Barbara High School, the Dons. My dad was coaching them. They won the state championship, and I'm in these uh, little green and yellow overalls. They're their school colors. Yeah, yep. and uh, he's running around the court. He's, you know, the 78 hairdo. He's got the long <laughs> hair down to his shoulders. And uh, so I- I've always cherished that that and, and the relationship that my dad had with him as a coach and player and, and beyond. And so it's, yeah, it's, it, my dad kind of started it all and. uh we couldn't have been in a better location to be a volleyball family. I mean, that's what we did. And you just grab the ball and go to the beach, yep. ride your skateboard or bike, and you spent all day there. And I was fortunate to have a bunch of sisters that could uh, get out there with me, compete, and uh, we could go play with any of my sisters, Heather, Nicole, Lacey, and the, the list goes on and on. And we could we could uh, play with the guys for sure, and we did it all the time. Whether it was a court or beach, uh, that that was fertile ground. Uh, I think Heather mentioned East, East Beach was a popular. East Beach, yeah, yeah. yeah. Every uh, every Saturday morning there was a game that my dad, as long as I can remember, as long as I can remember, eight a.m. They got on the court. There was four of them, and uh, with Karch's dad, Laz, and they would play till about noon every single Saturday morning. And they would just switch partners, compete, and just get after it. Someone wanted to come play, they would just say, "No, no, no, you're not part of this group." And uh, that went on for years and years, and there's just, I mean, the, the gold medals, the national championships, all the things that have come from that area, uh, not just Karch Karai. There's so many more, and uh, it's, it is, it's a fertile ground for volleyball, that's for sure. It might have been your Loyola match just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Karch was, yeah. was there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Karch was in town. Uh, visiting, and so he was uh, able to attend a few of our practices. And I told the guy, I'm sure the guys had posters on their walls <laughs> growing up, just like I did, you know. And uh, uh, we were fortunate whenever Karch kind of stopped in, in in town and visited my dad, and we were able to go watch him play in different competitions. I always felt, you know, a little special, a little different. And uh, so Karch was here, was able to come to a few of our matches over the weekend, and you know, I thought that was pretty fun for the guys. So when Karch is at a practice, how much how much guest coaching do you want him to do, or how much? Did just him hanging out and chilling. No, he was just hanging out. He, yeah. you know, Karch uh, kind of gets it, and uh, he's doing a great job with the national team. And so he he was just there. Uh, he didn't do much. There was a few things he said here and there. At, I think the start and maybe the end of practice just gave a few ideas here and there, but more just kind of rah rah guys and uh, go get them, go yeah. compete. That was right before our opener. So you mentioned uh, the sisters. There were six of them. Yeah, and and multiple Division One athletes, not just here at BYU. Yeah, no, uh, my sister Lacey uh, actually played here at BYU. Started at BYU Hawaii. They they had a strong uh, women's program. Then transferred over here. I remember watching her matches when she was playing for the Cougars. And then uh, Heather went on to play Division One up at Utah State. Uh, and when I was here, I, I returned from my mission. Uh, I enjoyed. I loved driving up to Logan and watching her compete. She uh, she had a great uh, record against BYU, actually knocking them out of the uh, NCAA tournament one year, and I was there cheering her on. But uh, yeah, we've just, like I said, my dad uh, started that, and uh, he he loved the game, and it was just part of every day for us, every day. How cool is it to have sisters that that could compete 
at such a high level that, say, when you hit the beach, you could take on, I'm sure you took on teams of guys at times and, time. and cleaned up on them. Oh, we did. And uh, as you guys can see, you watch Heather and follow the program that, that, that she's got over there with the women's side. Uh, unbelievably competitive. And we could go out there and in beach volleyball, you know, you, you sometimes there's only a few courts or East Beach has a ton, but in our community, we had two. And uh, you had to sometimes wait, you know, and you wait a few matches, you, you go call next. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the probably the courts in Brooklyn, New York or basketball. And you call next and you wait. And if you keep winning, you hold court. And uh, many days, uh, my sisters and I just stayed there all day and got a water break in between games and, you know, next up and just kept playing and playing. And she said, Heather did when she was on with me, that the family home is still the family home. Back yeah, there. It's, it's still the family home. Uh, I was born and raised, uh, born in the house, born in the house. Literally. Literally. Uh, 1354 Vallecito Road. And uh, that's it. And it's a straight shot. You do have to cross the 101, so we kind of got to go around, but you could take it straight to the beach. Uh, when the waves were big in the winter, I could hear them breaking. And uh, so it's just a, a beautiful place to grow up in. Now, you've, you've lived in Utah long enough. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of you still uh, pines for, for beach life or California life? Or? Uh, I mean, it's, you've been to that area. It's just so it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. And I remember when I started dating my wife, she's uh, an Alpine Lone Peak girl, and she um, going to California, dating this California kid, and took her home for the first time. And, you know, she was just, wow, this isn't like Los Angeles or San Francisco. This is just this little... Mm-hmm beach tight-knit community yeah. you know and uh, uh the people just they cherish that lifestyle and and enjoy it and we were fortunate to to be able to have that but you do love living here too right oh yeah love it no for sure I, uh, this has been a for me as a player to be here uh just be a part of this program and this school and this environment in this area is a really special place for all of us after your mission to argentina uh-huh. uh, had you already by the way were you already going to go to byu before you like were you already uh, committed, or was it a post mission thing that got you associated with no, BYU? No, yeah, it was uh, discussions with with Carl, and uh, maybe I don't want to get into the the, the dirty secrets of uh, <laughs> I didn't have uh, I, I you know wasn't the best student, uh, but Carl worked with me uh, before my mission put together kind of a plan of how, okay, let's let's get you here after your mission. Let's get your grades in order. Mm-hmm. And uh, he worked out that plan with me. And so uh, I knew, you know, coming home from my mission be uh, that I was going to be a part of the, the volleyball program. And so I was fortunate that at the time going on your mission at 19, I didn't start my eligibility clock. So I was still able to come off my mission, um, you know, red shirt, and then get, you know, start my five years uh, after my mission. So I was one of those typical seniors that uh, you're, what, 27? And, you know, (laughs) I didn't have any kids, but uh, was married uh, my senior year when when we won that national championship. You got four straight playing years with coaches McGowan and Peterson here. Yeah, yeah, And of of those four years, you're in the national title game three times. Yeah, I was was fortunate to be just a part of a, a solid group of, of teammates, just some of, some of the best players that have come through this program, as you were mentioning, just uh, the tradition of, of BYU volleyball, both the guys, and you know, men's and the women's side. So I was very fortunate to be a part of uh, some outstanding teams. After your playing days, your coaching career starts. Did you uh, always have an inkling that, that that's something you would want to do after playing? Yeah, you know, I, I 
talked as I was a player here with Carl, and then my last few years were with with uh, Coach Peterson, as you mentioned. But I had always told Carl, "Hey, this is what I want to do." My dad had done that for so many years. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the interactions that my dad had with the players, those relationships. And so, uh, you know, Carl was uh, instrumental in me getting right out of uh, playing into my first job opportunity, you know, real job opportunity out in Cal Poly, another beautiful location in uh, California, San Luis Obispo. And from there we went. You spent a little time at UVU before Cal Poly SLO, yeah. right? Yeah, I was helping out with them, yeah. Yeah, so Utah Valley, uh, Cal Poly, then right after Heather leaves Utah State, yeah. I think you get involved with the Aggies for a couple of years. Yeah, she she left. I literally uh, kind of took her position. I think there was one day of crossover where she, hey, here's a few things, here's, what, <laughs> here's the code to this room, here's the keys to that room and uh went to went to utah state for uh for some years with one of my former coaches here at byu uh, grayson debose and, and she had just left for utah she had just left for utah yeah. yeah and she went to utah as an assistant and uh did a great job there and then you know we were able to kind of hook up again in the future uh right when i was able to take over the women's program now in 2008 you interview for the head job here at byu you don't get it Mm-hmm. But uh, but Tom Holmo says we're going to find a way to get you here somehow, and you did become an assistant. Yeah, I did. I did become an assistant, and uh, you know, came and and talked with with the administration, had met with them, and Tom talked about getting me down here somewhere. And at the time, I was kind of hey, I've got I've got a job, and I I, I loved it up there in Logan, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and so I just kind of hey, it's a good experience for you to chat. And then the opportunity presented itself to come down as an assistant, be a part of that program there uh, under Shea for a time, and then from there. And ultimately, in 2011, you get the job uh, that you'd hoped to get a few years prior as you now get get the head coaching position in 2011. And that started a a tremendous uh, four-season run. Describe the first season and how instrumental that was in what happened the next three. Yeah, you know, we we had uh, some really good pieces I thought on our on our program and the staff changed a little bit, but we we had a group of uh returners that immediately, you know, we tried to just begin to change their mindset and 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 you know, thinking about winning a little differently and competing and trying to uh, build that atmosphere and practice and, and go from there and we did we we had a great turnaround, you know, our first year, but we were left a, a few matches here or there out of the NCAA tournament. And then with uh, some key additions and uh, some great recruiting by our entire staff, we were able to then begin to build on, on some of those uh, uh, key players that were a part of that, that national championship run. When you got the head coaching job, did you always know you wanted Heather to be on that staff? Yeah, I did. Um, right from the start. That was the first thing I said. Um, when you know there's uh, certain things in terms of uh, family relationships and jobs and and we all know about that and I think coaching is a little unique it's a little different um, and so that was the, the the first thing I said was uh, you know okay if we're gonna if we're gonna do this uh, this is who this is who I'm going to go after as head coach and this is my assistant this is going to be the first play that I'm going to make and uh, you know thankful the university at the time the president the vice president they were all directly involved and and all played a huge part in that you know um taking time i remember we had some meetings on weekends you know <laughs> and uh it was uh, summertime and, and there wasn't much time between our, the start of our season 
And we, you know, President uh, Worthing came down, sat down with Heather, chatted with her, took time away on a Saturday. She was able to meet with the the with Tom and other administrators to just get a good feel for um, how we could we could make this work. And like I said, uh, thankful to them, they they made that work, and it was uh, it was a fun run. What about your personal makeups made you and Heather a good team? You know, I think. Uh, we're we're a lot alike and we're a lot different. I don't know, you know, and so there's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences. So I I don't get into the you know you hear in coaching the good cop bad cop you know who's who's going to be the mean one and who's going to be the nice one to to give him a hug at the end of the day. But I just felt like we we uh, understood each other. We both had similar goals and um, for the most part similar mindset and. Uh, I think a lot of it went back to Heather formed, even though she didn't play here under Carl, of course, she formed a very strong relationship with Carl. Um, She and I worked multiple volleyball camps all throughout the United States when we were both playing. Um, In the summer times, we would go work for Carl and his coaching clinics and volleyball camps, and we'd travel everywhere together, just she and Mm -hmm. I. We'd go on the road for two, three weeks running camps and clinics. So from a training and volleyball um, you know, environment. We were coming from the very similar mindset and ideas. And, you you know, you can go back to just our upbringing and watching our dad and being in the gym as our dad was coaching and, and doing all those things. So there's a lot of those similarities. As BYU fans know, once you left the women's program to take over the men, Heather assumed the head coaching post with the women. Um, was that a grand design? Did you know that was, I mean, was that a, a given in your mind that that was going to happen? Yeah, I mean... Uh, a given. I don't know if anything's a given in this profession, you know, um, in, in terms of that. But, you know, I knew that she was ready to 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 be a head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I I knew that she was enjoying being the assistant as well. You know, um, you know, we were having a lot of success, but I knew that Heather was in a spot where she was ready to just keep things moving forward. And that that was important to me, and that was in, that was really important to our administration as well. That if this change was going to happen over in the men's program, that uh, the the women's program was going to keep clicking like it had been. And so that was a uh, just a really natural fit. And you know, look what look what she's done. That's for exactly sure. what's happened, right? It's yeah. kept on. Yeah. The Sweet Sixteen runs continue, and yep. all that. Now you left the women's team off a tremendous high, a national title game. Uh, Penn State won it in 2014, but you were right there. Uh, it's kind of a great way to leave it in a way, uh, but was it hard to do it at the same time, having been so close? Yeah, I mean, it was. And uh, just like any coach uh, for any team that you're a part of, you care a lot for each of those players. And so it was kind of fun that I wasn't leaving, you know, going somewhere else to another university where I'd get to still be able to see those girls uh, continue to improve. And so, yeah, it wasn't just, oh, Great, I'm I'm doing this and I'm going over here. It was it was tough, and we'd we'd put together some fantastic runs, and especially as you mentioned, just coming off that season, mm-hmm. a season like that. Um, you know, it wasn't uh, all right. Here we go on to the next thing. Um, but I've I've been able to be a part of it. I chat with the girls each and every day. There's still a few. There's a there's still a handful a handful on this roster. Uh, that I recruited, and uh, not me individually, but we brought on as a staff. So it's fun to see them uh, have the success they're having. Because of the timing of the women's and the men's seasons, 2015 was actually a full calendar year yeah. without matches for you. Yeah. Was that was that a hard year? Yeah, it was just strange. It was just, it was really strange. And I remember um, coming around in the, the normal summertime, you know, you go through the camps, and then you kind of just get into... 
okay, you know what's coming next, you know, uh, double days and, you know, the teams arriving and all those things. And then we're going to be competing by the end of August. So that was a little strange. You had you no know? team yet. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, the guys weren't here. They, yeah. they you know, there's a few guys working out here and there, but they were off doing internships and at home, some of them. And so you don't see them till the first day of school. So that was strange, you know, to be around the Smith Field House, and you're passing the girls here, and they're going to practice, going to workouts, and but they're not I'm your going girls to my anymore. office. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but yet, because of the timing of the seasons, you technically your last three seasons of coaching have all ended in the national championship game. The 2014 women, then the 2016 and 17 men. That's a remarkable run. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate to be a part of some great staffs and just uh, a part of some outstanding teams and. Uh, uh, you know, you, you feel blessed. You feel uh, that, you know, I wish we, you looking back, I, I look back and man, that one match here or there, and uh, we all want more, each one of them, but we, we've been fortunate and I've been very fortunate to be a part of some, uh, some fun runs here at BYU. And uh, so I just feel blessed that I've been uh, able to be a part of that. Ohio State um, has been the team you've faced each of the last two seasons uh, in, in, the, in the championship match. And as it turns out, Ohio State was scheduled early this season mm-hmm. at at St. John Arena just last weekend. Yeah, and uh, it was a compelling match, uh, a five set win for you guys. Um, it didn't come maybe in the month you wanted it to. It came you know in January. But that said, how satisfying was it to go into the same venue? I'm sure you saw a lot of the same players on the other side of the net yep. and 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 get it done. Yeah, no, it was fun. You know, uh, leaving that venue uh, last year, uh, that was a tough one. That was a really tough loss for. For all of us, so I, I know that the guys were actually really, really excited to get back there. And uh, so when we had that on our schedule, we looked at that, and um, they're only going to be a, playing a few more, few more years, maybe one more season in that arena. Actually, they're building it's a great new old one, building, so, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's fantastic, and uh, they're a great host, and 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 all of those things. But so it was nice to come back. You know, walking in there for the first time <laughs> this year was like, man, you know, there's a few the feelings of last time but uh the guys you know there was no bumps in the road there they were focused from the moment we walked in that gym to practice till uh the start of the match speaking of great old buildings uh you've got one of the best in the smithfield yeah, yeah. house what 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 do you you know in the coaching community what's smithfield house's reputation uh, just it's uh, for us of course we believe it's the greatest volleyball venue in the country and the the fan support this community shows that you know the students and and all of the people that uh, put so much into each and every match here on this court it's just it's a historic building and volleyball wise it is now you know at the top uh, of all of the the venues in the country for uh, both again men's and women's volleyball and i have that perspective that uh, I'm able to st- have experience with both of the programs. And so the attendance numbers, the support, like I said, from the, the community, the administration, the fans, everybody is just outstanding. And it's uh, it's such a – just a great environment. I mean, a volleyball match at the Smith Fieldhouse, there in the volleyball and coaching community, you know, a lot of people don't like it. And we get a lot of people that will not come – to the Smithfield House, you know, and, and they're open about it. I, I don't want to come to Provo and play there. But then you've got the, the coaches that understand the significance and the, the, the history behind that, the, this venue that they, hey, I want to come. I want to come be a part of that. And they, you know, there's a, there's a handful of players. Most of the players will never in their career uh, as, a, as a college volleyball player will, will never play in a venue 
like the Smithfield House. And so there's a lot of coaches that embrace it. Like, hey, we want to come. I want my players to experience yeah. that. And, and they'll embrace that. And, and so we, uh, it's fun to you know, have those guys here, and they really appreciate it and understand it. Barton, Friday and Saturday this weekend. Uh, the, uh, let me, the last thing from you. This season's squad, you're starting a bunch of seniors. You're ranked number five. I would have thought you'd gone a little higher than from six to five after beating the two teams you beat last week on the road. That said, top five's nothing to sneeze at. Uh, your thoughts and, and aspirations for this year's squad? Yeah, it's a, it's a great group. We've got some outstanding leadership with some guys, Leo, Price, Brendan, some guys that have been through the ringer a few years. You know, they bring that experience. They've been excited uh, about this season and the group. Um, you know, the chemistry and the makeup of this group, our staffs, uh, I can honestly say, I think we're having a blast coaching these guys. We've got some youngins that are, are learning as they go. An exciting freshman in Gabby uh, Garcia. That, National player of the week. Th- that people are getting, uh, being able to, to see firsthand. There's, there's excitement behind that. And so just the team in general, we, we enjoy coming to practice every single day with them. I know that's coach speak, but we really are enjoying it. And we're really excited to see just this team continue to develop. We're comfortable with where we're ranked because we understand we're so, you know, the season has just kind of begun. Um, it's been a process for us training, but here we are competing. So we're excited to see where this group goes. It's the new look MPSF, as, uh, by the way, as well. And a league play will start in about, uh, about four weeks. Yep. Sean, great having you in tonight. Great yeah, talking to you. Thanks so much. Thanks wonderful, for spending some time. Wonderful work. We've now had uh, both Olmsteads on the show, so uh, we've, had, we've had a good year. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, Travis Hansen is coming up next. Former BYU basketball player Travis Hansen is our next guest, our final guest, on this week's edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. You're listening to us on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, byuradio.org, and the BYU Radio app. Travis Hansen next. Stay with us. With the BYU license plates, no matter where you are, you show your Cougar spirit and you make it possible for students to get an education. The donation you make when you get the license plates goes to support BYU scholarships. So whether spreading Cougar pride coast to coast or getting to the big game, you're also funding scholarship opportunities for BYU students. Learn about free special plates today at alumni.byu.edu plates. Welcome back to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. Well, at the turn of the century, BYU basketball was still on its way back. Back from bottoming out at 1-25 in the 1996-97 season. The following season with a new coaching staff, the Cougars won nine games. The next season, 12 games, then 22, and an NIT bid. In the 2000-2001 season, the Cougars won 24 games and got back to the NCAA tournament. Helping them get there was Travis Hansen, BYU's leading scorer in his junior and senior seasons. Travis will go on to become a second-round draft pick of the Atlanta Hawks and play the next eight seasons in both the NBA and some of Europe's top leagues. Since ending his pro career, Travis has become a successful author, entrepreneur, and philanthropist. My conversation with Travis Hansen is tonight's Catching Up with the Cougars segment brought to you by BYU Alumni. Connected for good. Find your chapter and get connected at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. Travis Hansen, welcome in Behind the Mic. Thank you, Greg. Happy to be here. You know, the players of today, they're, they're so young, the BYU players of today. Back when you were playing, I was a younger man. And so I feel like, uh, like like I'm talking to somebody that's a little more in my generation. More mature, more, <laughs> more wise. 
Yeah, I think I think when I was back here, the uh, first couple of years you started doing it. Yeah, I'd been doing it for a, just a handful of years. I began 96, 97, right around there, and you came in uh, in 2000. Yeah, so three, four years. Yeah, so I was I was just... Uh, you were, you were kind, a newbie. Kind of getting my feet wet, and so you were, you were one of the guys that uh, taught me how to do this thing. Let, let, let's back up to, let's just say your high school days. Well, first of all, uh, you went to Mountain View. Were you always a Utah County kid? I was, yep. Mom was from uh, Richland, Washington, ran track and field. Uh, Dad was from Boise, Idaho, grew up at one Deborah High. They met at Rick's College. He was playing football at the time. And, and then they both moved down here to go to school. And so me and my family and I were born and raised here and grew up and went to Mountain View High School and had a phenomenal time. Uh, coming out of Mountain View, uh, what options did you have at that point? Um, quite a bit. You know, uh, Mountain View was... A kind of a dynasty back in the day. They, you know, Coach Hool has won 68 state championships with cross country, track and field, and basketball. My little sisters won four state championships and a national championship. Um, and so, you know, I had, uh, you know, almost every school on the West Coast. Um, really liked Cal Berkeley. Uh, looked at Indiana, um, and then uh, uh, my, mo- my 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 mom actually got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer at the time, so I chose to stay close to home and ended up. Uh, uh, being a great experience, great opportunity to, to be close to family through hard things and hard times. And you ended up going to Utah Valley, yep. which was then UVSC, a two-year school out of Mountain View. Is that right? That's right. Yep. And and it was during that uh, first year at UVU or UVSC then, uh, your mom is ill. And um, how did that how did that situation play into what was to come next for you? I mean, you know, everything. everybody has to go through hard things. Um and you know, having your mom have pain in her back and and uh, be uncomfortable, and then and then go to doctors and find out that uh, that the pain's getting worse, and then, and ultimately found out that it's not going to get any better um, is was a tremendously hard thing. It's, everyone loves their mom. You know, I I carried my lawnmower to the back of my house, had a had a big backyard, and I put it in the middle of the grass and and uh, mowed uh, mom in the back of it just to show her uh, I was just just completely uh, um, in love with my mom and she was just so so amazing and so to find out that your mom has cancer in November and have her pass away by March older brother was on a mission to Japan he, he flew back went to the funeral and then flew back home dad was bishop at the time had to get released uh, just tremendously hard on my family my little sisters were 11 little twins and so um and this yeah. was a, and this was a playing season for you, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, I was at yeah. UVC, and so the last thing my mom said to me uh, um, while she was in our home on, on hospice, and and uh, and uh, as her her body continued to deteriorate because of the pancreatic cancer, she said, "Go on a mission." Four months later, I went on a mission. Had you not been planning on it, you know, I don't know if I'd made the decision. Obviously, uh, you know, I knew it was the right thing to do, but I don't know if I'd made that decision until. Until my mom uh, uh, told me to do it, um, and you know, ended up being a phenomenal experience. Went to Chile, uh, just had such a great time. Matured and grew, and learned Spanish, and loved the people. And, and then when I came back, uh, I knew I wanted to stay close to home. Nate Call was one of my coaches at UVSC, and he had transferred over here to BYU. And mm-hmm. and Coach Rose was actually the pers- first person to ever offer me a scholarship. It was to Dixie State. Uh, I still remember him coming into our. We had a condo in St. George, and he walked in with John Wardenberg and offered us <laughs> offered me a scholarship. I think John was the AD at the time, and Dave was his basketball coach. Yep, yep. And uh, 
Yeah, and so then they were here at BYU, and so it just felt comfortable, and I knew the people, and it was the right choice. Did, did you have a tattoo back in the day? Oh, yeah. My mom passed away. Uh, I was uh, together with um, quite the motley crew at UVSC at the time. We were really good, good players, but a lot of guys from Vegas and different. And so to deal with my mom's passing, one of the ways was to get a tattoo. Hmm. And it said the heavens, and you know it's, it's, it's a young uh, inexperienced, immature boy's way of dealing with the death of, death of their mom, and so I got I got a tattoo. Uh, later, so the on, motivation was very pure. I, I, <laughs> I guess you could say that. I came back off my mission. Uh, oh no, actually, on my mission, President Hinckley said it was it was the talk he gave. Uh, only have one piercing and keep your body clean of tattoos. And I was like, oh, just guilt stricken. So I got home and and immediately uh, got some laser treatments to to get the get the tattoo off because I wanted to be a good example. I wanted to do a try and I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, to, uh, my kids eventually to know their dad, you know, likes to make good choices and do a try. And so that, that was a smart choice. I think I, I recall, I think we were playing maybe Santa Barbara and uh, you and I were walking from building to building at the team hotel, I think going in for lunch or something. And I think that's when you talked to me about the fact you were getting these treatments to, to get rid of this thing. Yep. Yep. Two treatments. It wasn't fun. Um, but, it, it was it was worth it. Uh, the, one of the coolest stories was, you know, after my mission, I was, man, probably 10 days after my mission, my dad uh, had told Reinert that I'd play on a, in, a, in a tournament with UVSC in Compton, uh, L.A. So we flew into L.A. and Cleveland and Rose and everybody was in the stands, all the Pac-12 coaches. I think Coach K was there. It was, it was a pretty big tournament. And, and uh, we started playing. I hit a couple threes and, you know, playing against basically all black teams and, and they're like shooter, shooter. Obviously, I wasn't. I wasn't. You know, that wasn't my trait. I was a shooter. I got lucky and hit a couple threes. I was mostly just out of shape and fat, so I couldn't drive to the to the hoop. But you were a jumper, and I was a jumper. And so they started closing out on me, and I drove baseline, two dribbles, dunked it, and broke the backboard. The backboard came around in my hand. Uh, the little plaque, the orange uh, metal, uh, gauged and gouged into my right shoulder and Yeesh. and they're yelling white chocolate thunder and they're yelling oh my god you know meantime I, you're like i think i'm i'm hurt yeah they're close your eyes don't get the glass in your eyes and, but i didn't have any trouble getting scholarship offers after that after that <laughs> i spent seven hours in the la hospital because it, of the the gouge of the uh the yeah, shoulder right? to get stitches and yeah. end up uh getting the intern because i don't think they ever got the glass out right because a year and a half later i'm at byu they ended up signing at byu and and uh, Rob Ramos was uh, the trainer at the time. I said, man, my back is killing me. Started picking at it and looking at it. And we pulled out about four pieces about 18 months later. No, so. four pieces of backboard glass a year and a half later. Yep. yep. From the day you broke the backboard in Compton. Yeah, LA Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> you, you met, now, were you already committed then to BYU at that point, even though the scholarship offers came from other people? Or were you already? No, I played in that tournament. And I was uncommitted to hmm. where, where I wanted to play. So you had more options, and but still BYU was a place for you. Stay close to home, and yep, still chose to to play for for uh, Cleveland and Rose and Call and Judkins and Schroyer and yeah. and Santiago, and they were all on the on the staff, and I believed in them, believed their vision and where they, where they wanted to take us, and and I wanted to win. So here we are, all these years later, uh, Dave's still there, and he's back there, and Rob is still there, and oh. Brian's administrator. Yep. It's a lot of the same people. Yep. Some of my best friends, some of the people who have been influential in my life and my thinking and my work ethic and who are just, you know, I am not a self-made man. I, I, I've been just so lucky and blessed to be surrounded by good people who push you and, 
and want the best for you. And they're just, you know, you, you, I don't know if you can ask for many things uh, more to push you and to help you in the progression of this life than good mentors and advisors. And I've had many. So after a freshman year at UVSC, a mission, you get three straight years at BYU. Your first year is the year that BYU makes it back to the NCAA tournament. Late in that year, you end up getting hurt. You miss a bunch of games late in the season, but you come back for that tournament run. Remember that? Yep, absolutely. How big a deal was that to you guys? Because it was, even though it was only your first year at the program, you knew that it had been a long time since BYU had made the dance. This was kind of the culmination of the, you know, the rebuilding effort, if you will, right? Yeah, so hungry, so driven to succeed, and we wanted to be good. And you know, despite the ups and downs and and the challenges, setbacks, injuries, whatever it is, we were able to have a pretty fun, phenomenal year. And so BYU makes it to, back to the NCAA tournament in 2001. Uh, Cincinnati gets after you pretty good, but you made it there. You know, the, the thing was to get back, and that's what you did. Heath then leaves, and you become, the next two years, the scoring leader for BYU. And uh, how much of a responsibility do you recall taking upon yourself to kind of be that guy? It kind of happens. You know, I remember sitting in my living room, and I think the coaches, Cleveland and Rose, were there, and my dad was so worried. He's like, well— what if it, you know, they're, they're saying basically you need to take a, a more uh, um, prominent role. You need to be more aggressive. You're going to have to score more. You know, you've been kind of a role player. Now you got to, uh, you know, step up and be a leader. And my dad was so worried. What, what, you know, what if it doesn't work out? What if he can't score? What if, it, you know, <laughs> he's kind of like plan B, what else? <laughs> and uh, I just, I never doubted. I, I knew I'd put in the work. I knew my coaches would put me in the, the right position. I was really hoping that, uh I just would stay injury free, and and there there were many times after my mission where I'd play, and I thought, man, if my legs didn't get so tired, my my legs would get fatigued quite quite frequently. But at the very beginning of practice, the first hour, I could play, and I I, I started getting more confident. I could tell that I was a little bit better than, than some people, especially athletically, and and I, and I just said to myself and wrote down goals saying that, you know, I, I would be able to practice three hours and not get fatigued and I'd, I'd do everything that I had to do to get myself to that point and I knew if I if I was willing to pay the price uh, that that I'd be able to help the team be a good leader led the team in scoring the last two years of your BYU career NIT as a junior NCAAs again as a senior you went 44 and one in your th- at home in your three BYU seasons that's phenomenal that's three seasons of home games and one loss. No, phenomenal coaching staff, phenomenal players, uh, great fans, right? I mean, I, I've played around the world uh, in a lot of different arenas, and there's just nothing better than BYU. There's nothing better than the facilities, the staff, the people, the fans, the environment, the pregame show. It's just everything's first class. And so, you know, a lot of things go into factor winning games. Uh, but home court advantage, uh, I mean, you know, BYU has all the variables. And so as a player, all you got to do is play. You get drafted by the Hawks, and then next seven, eight seasons, you're a pro. You're an NBA pro, and you're a, you're a European pro. When you look back at that phase of your life, if I were to kind of encapsulate those those eight years or eight seasons, what was the, the best thing you took out of your pro time, your pro career? Uh, time with family. NBA was a little harder. Europe was just so fun, and, and you know, it was hard. We had tough coaches. Coaches that were way tougher than I've ever had. I wanted to quit three times. Uh, the stories I have, the guys would try to kill you. But like three days and three days, guys are just just not human. The things they tried to make you do, and and uh, you know, at one point my calf was black, 
went up to my physical uh, therapist, Rob Ramos type in Europe. His name was Alberto Fernandez. And I said, man, my calf is black. He's like, let's do an ultrasound. And he said, doesn't, that doesn't look good. And I'd blown out every muscle in my right calf. And so just a lot of overtraining, uh, no rest. I mean, they, they just push you to the limits and, and which, which, you know, ends up, I guess you do have limits, but there's so many different levels of hard work. And so I learned a lot about a lot of different things. I learned about the IQ of, of basketball and how to play and how to play pick and roll and what a team really looks like. I learned to, to, to embrace different cultures and different food and diversity, uh, to really be thankful for the gospel, uh, thankful for Utah and, and, and all the different amenities uh, this wonderful state and, and, and the wonderful country of America brings to, to your life. We're so blessed. But number one would be family. My wife and I got to spend time together early in our relationship. We're newlyweds. We had little, one little boy, and we just we loved it. We learned so much together. You're away from family, and so the church really bec- becomes your family. You lean on each other, and, and my wife and I's relationship along with our kids just completely blossomed. We embraced the gospel more than we ever had, and, and we grew uh, a lot. We progressed a lot. And your time overseas helped you gravitate toward uh, the charity work that is so much a part of your life now, right? Absolutely. Yep. We were in Russia at the time, and we were dealing with infertility problems. Our first little boy came quickly, and then— That's uh, Ryder, right? Yep. We're yeah. a little Ryder. He's 14 now, <laughs> and she got done coaching him, uh, sophomore at Orm High. And then it, it followed by five years after we had Ryder of, of infertility and in, in vitro and, you know, so hard on—, on uh, a husband and wife, and especially a, a dear mom, that that's their, you know, calling in life that she felt. And um, we're reading in Matthew, uh, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And uh, we just felt prompted to help others that, you know, we're all going to have challenges, we're all going to have trials. Uh, but if you can be optimistic about them, and you can uh, look for ways to deal with those by you know, I think I think I don't know if the Savior ever thought about himself, thought about what he looked like, his clothes he wore, you know, d- dealt with any of his. I'm sure he had weaknesses that we have. Like we talk about blast with our kids, bored, lonely, angry, sad, or tired. You know, this is a state we're all going to be in because we live here on Earth, and, we're, and th- that's a weakness we're all going to have. We're going to have it every single day. But what what do you do when you're sad? What do you do when you're bored? And when we were sad and having a hard time. We felt prompted to help others, and we've learned that that's absolutely the key in our life. And so anytime we're bored or sad, uh, we say, let's go do something for someone else. And so we started a, f- a foundation and ended up helping an orphanage over there, and, and then it's blossomed. We have 10 children's centers around the world. We never thought it'd become this, um, but we've embraced it. It's changed our lives, and, and we've learned a great lesson to, to pay it forward and do good. It makes you happy. It started as the Little Heroes Foundation. It became the Sunshine Heroes Foundation, um, and that's a big part of your life. Not the only part, as it's it's sort of become part of a larger uh, operation that's uh, the the Tazani companies that you're involved with now. And Sunshine Heroes is kind of under the umbrella, isn't it, of what you're doing professionally? Yeah, correct. Uh, you know, we started off with a 501c3 nonprofit, and we built ten children's centers around the world. Got done with basketball, and found out very quickly that. I didn't really like asking for money and fundraising, um, and I, I probably wasn't very good at it too. So, but we wanted to continue this work, and it was it was important to us. And so we thought, why don't we build businesses to help support it? And so we're on a, 
um, our fifth business. Uh, they're all incorporated under Tasani companies is what we call it. So that all the members and employees of those companies feel like they're part of something bigger. Uh, each company gives a certain proce- amount of proceeds to Sunshine Heroes to help us build children's centers and help others around the world. Our latest one is Eddie HR. Um, it is a um, uh, HRIS platform. So it's basically uh, hiring, recruiting, onboarding, and then payroll. It allows companies to become enduring companies. We, we have automation and different things to help you. Um, and so it's phenomenal. It's a SaaS company, and it's our next one we're going after. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a 3.0 GPA jock trying to build businesses. And so I'm, I'm, I surround myself with really smart people. I, I spend most of my time recruiting, begging people to try to work for us. And it's been just a phenomenal ride and very appreciative that uh, I'm able to uh, build businesses. And I think it's one of the most charitable things you can do. Give someone a job and build their confidence and give them a place they can go every day. And, you know, someone told me a nonprofit is like general conference. You speak and you hope you help a lot, a lot of people. So we build these <laughs> children's centers and we really hope they're impactful. But it's, it's so hard to measure. Um, businesses is like, you know, selling a chocolate chip cookie. You know exactly if they're buying it or if they like it and you're getting feedback right away, direct feedback. Uh, and it's a lot like being a bishop. You, you spend so much time with these individuals and you watch them grow and you watch them progress and you watch them make good choices and you're part of their family. And so I think if you do it the right way, uh, ch- uh, business uh, can be very charitable. And you're a bishop right now, right? Yeah, as of three months. As of three months, it's a phenomenal blessing in our life. It's busy. It's a lot busier than I would would, would imagine. To all the bishops out there, they're, yeah. they're, they're, uh, they're blessed, especially their wives. Who's all in your family right now, up to date? So my wife and I. and then, uh, Wife's Larie. Larie, yeah. And a little boy, Ryder, who's 14. Mason, 10. Hallie, 7. Zach, 4. You adopted and, Hallie, right? Adopted little Hallie. And uh, now we have a newborn, five weeks old, Gwyneth Kate. And she is the best thing. We just love her. She's a surprise. We thought we were done. But we're, we're very uh, thankful and grateful. And she brings a special spirit in our home. And we hope she looks like her mother as she gets older. <laughs> now the father of five, parents of five. Fantastic. Last thing, your thoughts on a 15-4 and four BYU basketball team that uh, has a couple of home games this weekend. Ph- phenomenal um, changes, uh, environment, culture. Uh, how how much they're playing together? I think we have to we have to uh, contribute that a lot to Heath Schroyer. He brings so much energy, you know, and he he cares so much, and so I think that's a, a flown into the team. But Elijah Bryant is special. I, I really like him. We spent uh, quite a bit of time together. He just texted me the other day and said, "Can I shadow you this summer?" Hmm. And so he's very balanced young man. He knows that you know he's, he wants to be uh, successful off the court as well as on the court. Um, very good player. And with Yoli and some of these other players that have all stepped up, Luke Worthington is just a great, phenomenal leader, just a good person. So, you know, it's fun to see when the pieces come together. And uh, leadership does that. You get the right leader in and, and the right motivation. And guys, you know, you got to be a, a good follower before you can be a good leader. And I think guys are following and because they, they have the right leader. Travis, it's uh, great catching up with you. Always good to see you. I'm glad you came in and made some time uh, for us on Behind the Mic. Greg, you're the best. We all love you. We appreciate all you do. Thanks for inviting me. All right, Travis Hansen, thank you. And that is tonight's edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel on BYU Radio. Appreciation to Travis, BYU men's volleyball head coach, Sean Olmstead, and Jason Shepard, my BYU broadcasting teammate here in the building. 
for being on tonight's program. Next week, we'll have an all-BYU Sports Information Director special with Duff Tittle, Brett Pine, and Kyle Chilton. More about that on Twitter in the days ahead, and look for that next Wednesday night. That'll do it for tonight. This has been Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, BYURadio.org, and the BYU Radio app. Good night. We'll talk to you next week.